all heathens in the eyes of the state. Yeah, they raising their stakes, locking it down from TJ. All the way to Matamoros, up to Brownsville, back to San Diego. They know I said they out to get you, enforcing arbitrary lines with vigilante militias. White supremacists come in many facets, and most of these bastards uphold the law and wear badges. Click clacking, point blank blasting. They're killing in cold blood with impunity. No judge, we will not budge. They push, we push back. Watch these tables turn and witness the blowback. Back, back, back. Immigrant rights activists protesting in the militarization of the border are targeting the Tucson Border Patrol headquarters. Gail Minister Chains Teresa John joining us live from outside the gate of the East Side headquarters at Davis Maupin Air Force Base. Hello, welcome to On Resistance Radio. We're recording a special segment this Sunday, including a report back on the child migrant crisis that is happening and unfolding in Marietta and throughout Southern California. My name is Jay Ray. Hi, this is X. I think we're going to begin with a breakdown of what has been happening. This started with a bunch of images being released from Texas detainment facilities of migrant youth really closely housed together. And then it came to light that they were actually being flown to San Diego and processed through border facilities in Southern California. One of these border facilities is located in Marietta, California, which is an extremely hostile right-wing Bible Belt type area that is surrounded by... Uh, more rural areas, Paris and Hemet and Romaland and Homeland, the Inland Empire particularly does have a history of neo-Nazi white supremacist type organizing. So the migrant children being flown to San Diego and then processed through Marietta became a focal point of the right wing and a rallying point for the white supremacist Minutemen and militia types to make an example and protest this current administration as well as continuously demonize these uh, refugees and a lot of people that have actually been displaced from their home countries through U.S. aggressive policies of neoliberalism and through trade agreements and through military occupation or destabilization of their countries. So I guess we're going to touch upon the sequence of events that have happened. So there was a town hall meeting two days before the 4th on Tuesday the 1st. Over 800 people cheering as people were calling the migrants and refugees illegal. Within that, there were a few people that were there on the side of the migrant children and, you know, claiming no child is illegal and these are human beings. So people started regularly coming out to the site of the Border Patrol detention facility on Madison Avenue in Marietta, California. And there was a kind of distress call and people wanted more support. I know that the singer Lupio made a call out for people to come out as well. And I guess we went with a small contingent of people who went out the night before and we kind of got a, a little tiny taste of what was to come when we confronted a few flag-wielding patriots saying people need to get out of this country. That was kind of the people leaving the country was pretty much the the slogan of of the next uh, few days of the the protest so yeah you know we confronted them and i particularly have a disdain for any sort of symbolism that represents u.s imperialism that's caused so much genocide and i'm offended by u.s flags because they represent u.s imperialism and i was telling some people that and all they said was go back to your country and i'm like well i'm i'm part indigenous you're telling me that to go back 
where, what country are you assuming that I'm from? And just, just so much entitlement to the land and the laws that are constructed for them. Yeah, the right-wing protesters, some who were taking the position of being pro-immigration but for legal immigration to the point of people who were absolutely extremists in their logic of being entitled to this land who were coming up to people and telling them that this land was given to Europeans through manifest destiny and through God's will. There was a wide kind of spectrum of right-wing demonization of these youth and these families that were being displaced and already in detainment and in federal custody and experiencing significant trauma probably from being in federal custody. So the 4th of July was the convergence, wasn't called for by any key organizations, but people from the Inland Empire and Los Angeles, as well as more, who came out to respond to Lupio Rivera's call, came out on the 4th of July. We'll get to what actually happened on the 4th of July because there was some escalation. But in the days that followed that, there was a call for a national day of action to refocus on supporting the child migrants titled, We Don't Have a Border Issue, We Have a Humanitarian Issue, Vigil in Support of Refugee Children and Their Families. This vigil was set to occur on July July 9th. That was just this past Wednesday. And so the vigil gathered around 150 to 200 people. It was an interfaith gathering with many speakers from different faiths. The focus was to gather resources and kind of to humanize the situation, which is interesting because we spend a lot of time kind of trying to having to counteract the right wing demonization of people when we shouldn't have to humanize humans or spend so much energy humanizing humans instead of looking at the structural causes of their oppression, which were not so much mentioned, but, you know, range from capitalism and the displacement that capitalism causes to imperialism and globalization and particularly the role of the U.S. government in going into other countries and destabilizing them and displacing their economies and causing massive unemployment so that massive amounts of people are displaced and do have to migrate. And at the same time, the U.S. government is flooding a lot of countries with war propaganda that puts the United States in this place of being an exceptional nation. And so a lot of the war propaganda through movies and stuff is actually also drawing people here. So a lot of people, when and they're looking for someone to blame instead of looking at the policies of the U.S. government and looking at the economic system. They choose to demonize and victim blame the people that are suffering under this system of borders and nation states instead. But currently, many organizers throughout SoCal are working on coordinating and screening volunteers to help facilitate shelters and services and distribute the collected resources. Unfortunately, a lot of right-wingers are watching and surveilling these type of movements. There are Facebook reports of right-wingers posted up outside of shelters, publicized the location and movement of refugees uh, to their right-wing followers. So there is still a threat against um, the migrant refugee children and their families that are leaving detainment and going into shelters. The right-wingers are still focused on tracking uh, the movements of these former detainees. On July 3rd, you know, people going out to check out how many people had come out for pro-migration and then other people who had come out on the anti-immigration side. Just scoping out temperature of uh, in the political kind of climate of um, the setting. So on the 4th, people came out. The reason people came out was so that people could be visible to a lot of the children that were on these buses. During one of our debriefs, a person had said that they have seen a lot of the children on 
one of the buses and they look terrified and reports of the children afterwards of them talking about how the children assumed that when they got off of those buses they were going to have to run through a gauntlet of racist patriots I mean that isn't far from the truth if the kids had been dropped off in in that particular area that's probably what would have transpired a lot of people's motivation to be there was to answer to the distress signal of, of comrades who were on the ground organizing within that area as well as IE doing migration justice work and to be visible for the kids and chanting things like migrant children are welcome here things like no one is illegal so that was pretty much the intent of people being there to support people in really extreme situations and possibly to help uh, with their needs so throughout the day there was a lot of people were all kind of mixed it was like a very large mesh of people on the pro-migration side as well as people on the anti-immigration side just kind of all meshed together and people who had been organizing against fascists within the IE were pointing out that there are a lot of Nazis and right-wingers and Minutemen and people who are actually strapped and so the situation was quite scary in that we were I feel significantly outnumbered by the amount of anti-immigration people that were there from all over. We had people from Texas, from Marietta, from, yeah, neighboring cities, wielding their flags. One particular man who had a libertarian flag, the um, Don't Tread on Me flag, we had to make sure that he didn't mow over the danzas because he was just kind of running through the danzas and, like, pushing them as they were dancing. And this is an indigenous, these are indigenous people dancing for the love of of the, the earth, the land, and for these children. And so we had to kind of form lines and block him from mowing them over but but as soon as the dancers did come we noticed a kind of calm and we noticed a kind of quiet over the crowd of people when they first started and we also noticed a lot of the right-winger people on the side of anti-immigration they started leaving and heard that they were going to another intersection one that didn't have an even number of pro versus anti so there was a lot of points where it escalated and this kind of speaks to the tactics of the police if there were such escalations in any other settings at left protests they would usually declare an unlawful assembly right they would usually just just break it up right then and there and if people were threatening to block streets, they would have had riot police. So it was just kind of interesting that there weren't riot police that were on each side of the road, making sure people weren't on the road at all, kind of aiding and abetting these anti-immigration people's views. We would see aggressions, physical aggressions against people, usually people who were on the side of anti-immigration. They would attack someone from the, the pro-migration side, and we would see police just turn a blind eye to it so it was so pointedly blatantly in collusion with these people that really goes to show how law and order is manipulated in order to prevent and to halt and to repress resistance and people who are trying to fight to end structural racism and structural capitalism and structural hierarchies that exclude and dehumanize people but when the law is being broken to block buses in defense of racism and in defense of capitalism and in defense of borders and dehumanization, the law has no reason to intervene because that is what the law was built for. The law was built to uphold white supremacy. And a lot of these right-wing protesters that are talking about manifest destiny and we took this land by right and by force, 
it makes sense that if this country was taken by force, that then by creating this system of laws, it's to make sure this country stays taken by force. So the system of law and order, the Merida Police Department doesn't consider themselves agents of the federal government. They consider themselves an entity that is there to represent their privatized, incorporated city. A lot of people in Marietta We're talking about how this doesn't represent them, how this surge of right-wing, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, very demonizing the migrant struggle. I mean, it's really, really terrible because they're using very criminalizing, fear-mongering rhetoric, generalizations about, oh, all of these immigrants have diseases or health concerns. And it's just completely misrepresenting what's happening and demonizing an entire population. And history has shown us that when you demonize an entire population as diseased, you're also saying they're deserving of genocide. And so this is something that if this doesn't represent Marietta, then why aren't there more people out there coming out to counteract the narrative that is coming to represent Marietta? Why are you allowing all these neo-Nazis and white supremacists to flood the city and use it as a staging point to solidify fascism? Because fascism is when people demonize most impacted communities, immigrants, the houseless, poor, which migrants are all of those things. They're also houseless. They're also without resources. They're also being displaced because of violence. Instead, people choose to demonize them and look at people as causing violence when the real cause of violence is government and these nation states and these militaries that are that are staging coups in other countries and then ignoring it. I guess I'm going to elaborate on the amount of racism that people had to kind of deal with when they went or to counter the anti-immigration protests. Some of what was being shouted at the people or just the conversations that we were having with some of these right-wing people was really demoralizing. There was a man calling me and other comrades I was with anchor babies. And I guess that's this neo-racist separatist term that is meant to say the only reason you were born was to establish residency here that would also give your parents reason for residency here and enjoy the privileges and social and economic benefits of living in America so you are an anchor baby. And it's like, if you look back to how this country was established and the history of this country, migration is a human right. It's something that people do in order to get out of political or economic circumstance. And that's how this country was pretty much formed. However, it was only in the interests of white supremacy, essentially. They didn't consider the already existing established communities that have lived within this land for thousands of years. They didn't consider them as human. They considered them as savages, savages that they needed to remove from this land. It was interesting talking about that openly to people and Often at times, you would think you would trigger some sort of empathy with people, but there were people out there that were just outright fine with the genocide, totally agree with the genocide. And that was the big argument was you're threatening our jobs, like you're taking away all the jobs and needing to leave the country if you don't appreciate it. And our response was usually, well, what other country isn't being destroyed by U.S. imperialism that actually forces people to to leave the country in the first place? Another really awful sign, because some of these signs were really, really racist and just backwards. One sign said, not worried about immigration 
ask the Native Americans what happens when you don't worry about your borders. And, you know, signs like that, which, you know, I'm really kind of surprised that as much racism as people were facing that they didn't enact in any sort of, it was always the side of the anti-immigration people that were really provocating. But I guess people on our side, we just knew that this collusion with the police actually existed. We knew that Border Patrol was pretty much one of the enemies. We knew that cops are helping to establish these kinds of hierarchies. In one of our debriefs, we kind of talked about the logic of the right and this fundamentalist logic that wasn't allowing for any dialogue. They were so held on to the belief so much that any sort of reason that would conflict with their beliefs was just dismissed completely. And when you get into areas with people like that, it's it's really it's really terrifying because there's no reasoning with some people. And there were so many times where I was thinking that we were going to see violence because of something someone said or we were going to see violence because of something someone saw. I feel like throughout the day on the 4th, people had good heads on them. And I guess getting into when people were realizing that there was a whole other side, there were three intersections that were being blocked and there were right-wingers or anti-immigration protesters on every single intersection. Some comrades decided to go to a completely different intersection where there weren't any opposition to the anti-immigration protesters. And the intention that was established on going to that side was just in case, you know, some buses or cars or whoever did come through with migrant kids, migrant refugees within in those cars, just so that we could have that visibility for them and take pictures of their side. Yeah, I wanted to add a comment briefly, real quick, about how there was such an emphasis on on the right wing about the law and doing things legally, but then they failed to realize that this country wasn't formed legally, these borders weren't formed legally, these borders were formed through force, and then the legal system was then created to uphold that seizure of land and that genocide. They very much were very defensive and reactive. And the intention of people going there was to provide a buffer between the buses and the right-wing hatred. So the intention was very much knowing we were walking into a hostile area and that we were actually going to not be confrontational. The right wing was continuously aggressive and physical and using their flags to get in people's faces, which is a really great example of U.S. imperialism, actually. People kept driving over to the other side and seeing what their numbers were because there were no pro-immigration protesters on that side. In fact, I think that once the danzas were there, the spirit that the danzas brought really displaced a lot of the right wing hatred down the road where there was another entryway that the buses could potentially come through. And so a group of people went to the other side to take pictures And there was, uh, of course, another instance of right-wing aggression and right-wing violence, and someone from the right wing punched a live streamer and physically assaulted a live streamer that was documenting the area for the pro-immigration struggle. And so there was no police line, there was no order of dispersal, but the police intervened with force and actually decided to start physically removing people with the pro-immigration group. As that happened, those same people in that group were then trying to leave because it was very clear that the Merida Police Department was using that opportunity of having an isolated group of pro-immigration activists 
activists and observers to solidify their support of the right wing by physically and by force removing people as they were trying to leave. And so they ended up assaulting multiple people in that group and arresting. All five were charged with lynching, felony lynching. One of those people wasn't anywhere near the conflict, but was actually filming the police brutality and excessive force that was being used on those protesters and then was targeted for arrest and had their phone confiscated. There were total of two phones confiscated, which is actually illegal to confiscate phones pending a search warrant. You need a search warrant first before you can confiscate and hold phones as evidence in custody. So the Merida police violated the law. There was no order of dispersal. There was no order of detainment. There was no order of arrest. Uh, There was no verbal commands. There was just physical assault. The Merida Police Department, which if you look at the original beginning of this entire situation where the buses were blocked, actually deferred to the anti-immigration protesters and refused to disperse the crowd and actually allowed them to block the buses and are kind of trying to pass the blame to Border Patrol. But the people were arrested who were inside of the Merida Police Department witnessed multiple policemen talk about going to the anti-immigration protests after work. The Merida Police Department seemed to have, either indirectly or directly, a key role in organizing and supporting the anti-immigration protests. And Border Patrol federal agents were there as well, as well as the detention center and facilities were extremely hostile. Yeah, there were a lot of injuries made to people who did absolutely nothing. Some people were just flat out arrested for filming, which they detained and kept uh, one of the people who were were filming um, and arrested them. I actually was part of the team that was trying to help get people bailed out. One of the people who we picked up at the Southwest Detention Center in Marietta, they were released without their papers to go to court. And then another person came up and he spoke, only spoke Spanish and uh, he was like, I didn't get my papers. Where do I go? And then so we went back into the Southwest Detention Center and one of my comrades asked, I need my papers. They're necessary because and they were like, oh, that's not our job. And then my comrade, freshly out of jail, was just really, this is not your job. You're just sitting here and you're not supposed to help us with our our court papers. It's that's definitely your job. You're You're just sitting here doing nothing. And um, he pretty much demanded, you know, his court date um, and also demanded um, the court date from um, for the other uh, fellow that was there. And it was interesting that they hopped to it as soon as we were like, yeah, this is actually a tactic that the police use to get people further involved in the prison industrial complex. They don't give them their papers and they get a bench warrant. How often does that happen within the Southwest Detention Center within Marietta, do they just release people without giving them their court dates and then later on they find out that, oh, I have an outstanding bench warrant because I didn't actually go to court. So I just wanted to talk a little bit too about lynching. I first heard about uh, this lynching charge up until I started doing, you know, started organizing, doing activism work and everything. Um, Other people would be charged with lynching. And... If you look at the racist etymology of lynching, I do believe, well, it was the word was named after a person, but in this context, or historically, lynching was only only punished through court by way of a misdemeanor. So the real idea behind lynching as a statement, as, as a uh, charge used by the state, 
was that it was people who would capture or remove usually black people. They would remove them from police uh, custody and execute them. And this was punishable only by way of a misdemeanor because of the value of black life was seen as just property. Very triggering, very racist terminology to say that you're being charged with lynching. Just like lynching, that's that's a really strong, heavy language considering, you know, black people used to be seen as property and their job as slave catchers, as the police were actually was supposed to take these slaves back to their property owners. So they knew that that was their job. And when they were captured, people interrupted them from their job. They took quote-unquote property out of the hands of the police and that was only charged as a misdemeanor so it's just really hard to hear you know this racist language is still being used and especially in this case this case this this racist language is used for immigration which all immigration and borders it's extremely racialized these borders were established through white supremacy through u.s imperialism and is reinforced by that And as we saw in this case, uh, the police took the opportunity to demonstrate solidarity um, as they did the first time they blocked the buses with the right wing. And as people were arrested, the right wing was cheering on the police and calling for the protesters to be pepper sprayed and to be tasered. A female cop actually did take out a taser. And so the threat of violence was very high from the right wing and the police all day, even though people went there to show solidarity peacefully with the child migrants. It does demonstrate a need for a much more militant struggle when we know that the right wing and the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists are armed and do have militias and are threatening people in public with getting reinforcements and getting their backup. And so it really does call upon us to have a conversation in the movement about self-defense. A lot of the organizing right now is really focusing on meeting the immediate needs of the um, child migrants, which is definitely necessary. There's a Los Angeles site in order to donate resources, points or money, of course, but definitely resources, toiletries. I hear that the children need shoes. Some of the children are showing up without shoes. From 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., you can donate things in Huntington Park, California at Intero Real Estate Services, 3642 East Florence Avenue, Huntington Park, California, 90255. Please get in touch and donate what you can. All we can do right now is redistribute the resources that we have in our own community to meet the needs of people that are experiencing this targeting from the right wing. If the right wing doesn't represent you in America, in this country, in this occupied nation, then it is up to us to actually counteract the effects of the right wing or else they kind of carry the day and carry the narrative. There's ways for people to help. There's a lot of organizing going on throughout L.A. and Southern California and the Inland Empire. So please get involved and find a way to support because the right wingers definitely are establishing networks of support and surveillance of the migration struggle. So we really need to kind of review all of the ideas that U.S. imperialism has given to us about entitlement to this land, about entitlement to privilege and to citizenship and what that really means in this country. Um, 
and what detainment means and if the police are continuously executing people of color on the streets, black communities are living under occupied fear from police occupation. That is a very similar mirrored struggle to La Migra and Border Patrol and Minutemen posting up armed. We're seeing a lot of news about Minutemen in Texas going armed to the border. Like, what is our response going to be to this? And I think more and more people need to think about that if you're not already thinking about that. And if you are already thinking about that, solidarity. Thanks everyone for coming out and for organizing and I just wanted to share one of the other powerful moments upon the the protests when seeing, you know, first we saw the danzas and that was very calming. And then one of the anti-immigration protesters, he threatened a woman with rape and people were outraged. There was a lot of screaming going on. At that point in time, people had already been separated by sides at one particular area of the three-sectioned protests. And one woman, she just started singing, just started belting a song, Woman Warrior. I I don't remember who sings that song, but it just quieted. All the female identifying people started singing the song and it just quieted the protest. And that was really powerful and poignant against this awful man who was who was threatening one of the people on the pro-migration side with rape. These were the people that we were confronting to be there in solidarity with these migrant children. And I always am glad to welcome people to my struggle because my struggle is particularly queer, but it's good that people are interconnecting all of these struggles. And there isn't ever a time that is too late to be involved with somebody's struggle or get to know about someone's struggle. You got a lot of people on the left who are extremely critical of of people's actions in this protest and are like, yeah, all of these funds are going to people's bail. They're not. But what we take from this is that there are people on the ground who are already organizing and don't don't step on people's toes. Learn, you know, what you can about this particular struggle. And yeah, a lot of the things that we've been talking about are going to um, hopefully be in our info drop that's airing this Sunday. Also, this weekend is the anniversary of the Trayvon Martin uprising that had happened throughout all over the U.S. People being really, really upset that Zimmerman was found not guilty and a lot of black people were like this is our lives this is the same as when rodney king happened when police brutalize or people shoot our children and nothing happened what does that say about what the state thinks about black life the court quote-unquote justice system thinks about black life this weekend is you know just remember the trayvon martin uprising Please check out our Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash onresistance, onresistanceradio at gmail.com. And you can find all our past shows on soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. Thank you. Bye. Now let's put it all in perspective Before the outrage burns out misdirected What can we do so our community's protected? I believe that should be our main objective Why we full of rage and we want to make a difference Let's do more than protest Let's make a commitment to be proactive Not just emotional reacting Move like G's, never passing Organize safe teams, martial art classes I hope you hear this Say for Say for Say